welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl. No my heart and my kia and welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host Alison and today Karen joins me in the studio. Kia ora Karen. Kia ora Alison. Now today we are talking trains. Um, not so much the train spotting version um, but train travel because uh, Karen has recently taken some trips, some train trips in Central Asia and um, Glorious train trips, yes. I'm going to say. Absolutely, yeah, and a, a glorious journey. Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and China. Oh, three wow. different trains, three different countries. And probably three different experiences, too. And three very different experiences. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and it sounds sort of so romantic, actually. So speaking of romance, um, Kenneth Branagh, in his introduction to the book Orient Express, the story of a legend, describes the allure and the, the romance of train travel as opposed to air travel. Um, and so Brenner says that on a train you can really feel the miles go by under your feet and you truly have a, a sense of the travel. And he compares this to an aircraft trip, which he says is a bit more like a miracle. You go from place to place very quickly, but you haven't really enjoyed or experienced the journey. And um, that really relate, um, resonated with me because um, I'm kind of thinking that a train trip gives you a slice of heaven and a, a plane trip gives you a glimpse of hell, uh, depending, of course, on where you're seated. <laughs> yeah, well, on librarian salaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, actually, you know, I, I agree um, with that. However, it's more, I think the point that he is making, the important part of his point is not just about the leg room because in that sense, you know, when you say the plane trip was like a miracle. I was kind of laughing. I was thinking, you know, more like a season in hell. But um, it's the thing you said at the beginning, or that Kenneth Branagh said at the beginning, the sense of travel. And this holds true even on trains, like the ones we took in Uzbekistan, where the window handles were broken, so you couldn't open any windows, and there was no air conditioning. We're going, you know, two days across the desert. So that could be its own season in hell, but it wasn't, because it's just the, you know, the rhythm of the rails, and the, you can see your movement across them, and the drone of the rails instead of a drone of the turbines, which is yeah. quite a big difference. And, um, you know, looking up at the stars at night and a samovar in the corridor to make tea. Oh, it's, it just sounds wonderful. Yeah. Um, it's certainly something that's on my bucket list, as they say. But um, perhaps a more luxurious version of, of the trip that you just described is this Orient Express and um, I've got the book with me now. I was going to say I've got it in my hand but it's so big I can hardly hold it up. Um, it's a coffee table book. So Orient Express, the story of a legend it's just a beautiful, exquisite book and it gives the most um, detailed descriptions of all the things like the furnishings and fittings on the interior of the train um, talks about the incidents and accidents along the over the years and um, lots of other anecdotes it also um, talks about a lot of the famous guests who have traveled on the Orient Express over the years including Agatha Christie 
of course. Um, and uh, to quote Kenneth Branagh again, um, he says that the Orient Express represents the golden age of travel, the tableware, the glassware, all the beautiful woodwork, the smell of everything. It's a total and unique experience. It was quite lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, so is he speaking of the golden age of travel, like in the period in which um, rich people from Western Europe took the Orient Express I to Istanbul? I think so, so yes, I do, yeah. I do think But it so. is reproduced nowadays because they've remade available the Orient Express for... Um, should we say perhaps it's a slightly different society? It's not high society. It no. could be any one of us in our new egalitarian world. But yes. um, as long as you have the money to pay you for it, you need the money, wouldn't you? <laughs> this yes. Is, this is the the modern world, isn't it? Um, yeah. So it's funny because we about the money to pay for it. So the first book that I thought of when we talked about having um, a show about trains was, of course, uh, Graham Greene. Of course, if you know me and you mm. know that Graham Greene mm. is one of my favorite authors, Graham Greene's book, Orient Express, or it was, it was originally called Stambul Train. Um, this was written in 1932, that far back, and it follows a group of disparate and sometimes desperate passengers on the three-day journey from Ostend, that's Ostend in Belgium, not Waiheke Island, to Istanbul. And they're all outside Outsiders to the 1930s society in which the book takes place. So we have a chorus girl, a Jewish import-export merchant, a communist revolutionary um, traveling undercover, a criminal, a lesbian newspaper woman, and as the dancer who has the excellent name of, you'll appreciate this, Alison, Coral Musker, mm. says, we've all got some secrets. But no spies. Everyone thinks there is because Graham Greene is always known as someone who writes spy thrillers or famous for those. But um, what makes up for the – there's no need for spies. It's – the book is – it's just the amazing atmosphere of the book that carries you along. And it's all the more amazing, as I was saying about having money to pay for tickets, was that Graham Greene, who wasn't famous yet, could only afford a third-class ticket for part of the journey on the Orient Express. And he got all the rest of his information from travel books. But he was such a master of prose that you would never know. And I'm going to give you an example. So part of the travel that he could do with the money he had was obviously the take the departure from Ostend. And he's got this description, which is just, I think, is the most wonderful description ever of the feeling of a train taking off. So it goes like this. Doors slammed along the line of coaches and a horn was blown. Richard John, with his Macintosh turned up above his ears, leant from the corridor window and saw the sheds begin to move backwards towards the slow wash of the sea. It was the end, he thought, and the beginning. Faces streamed away. A man with a pickaxe on his shoulder swung a red lamp. The smoke from the engine blew round him and obscured his light. The brakes ground, the clouds parted, and the setting sun flashed on the line, the window, and his eyes. If I could sleep, he thought with longing, I could remember more clearly all the things that have to be remembered. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that so yes. beautiful. That's that feeling when you take off on the train. The world is yours. You're going to reinvent yes. it. I don't know what it is. It doesn't happen with planes. And everything moves backwards. Exactly. You and you're and you're flying yes. away from the past. Yeah. Everything has gone quickly into the past. Oh, that's really beautiful. Um, and because that kind of reminds me of the of um, Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. This is a book I've read it numerous times, and I've watched the different. 
film versions of it as well. And it's one that I've always enjoyed, even though I know exactly who did it, um, <laughs> so, which I won't, <coughs> excuse me, say. But um, now the passengers on Agatha Christie's Orient Express are quite different to the passengers that you just described um, in the Graham Greene book. So you've got a Russian princess, an English colonel, an American with a strange glint in his eye, whatever that means, um, and um, many, many more sort of um, upmarket kind of... Well, they sound to me like the um, players in Cluedo, you know, the game Cluedo. (laughs) It is. Which does take place in a villa, isn't it? In the library, in the conservatory, where they've been killed, yeah. Colonel Mustard, etc. It's almost got um, a feeling of camp to it in some way. I don't know why, but maybe that's just my my lens on it. But um, And um, the uh, train uh, gets stopped by um, a snowdrift and it, they're stranded um, for a day or, or so. And um, the, the morning after the, the snowdrift, um, an American tycoon is found dead in his compartment. He's been stabbed a dozen times, but his door has been locked from the inside. Um, so they, they're isolated, they're in the middle of nowhere, and they have a killer in their midst. So Detective Poirot must identify the murderer um, in case they dis- decide to strike again. So um, it's a, a fabulous one, and I I can see why it's it's such a classic. But it gives you that that real feel of the the train travel and the and the luxury as well. Yeah, I've actually never read it, so that's oh, a good recommendation. Yes, I that do. might be my <clears throat> next train classic. Highly recommended. Um, yeah, and so this is probably where I was going to segue a little bit um, to to plane travel um, because I have this theory I don't know if you agree but that crime stories set on trains are are much better than the crime novels set on aircraft Um, and so I was going to compare this to a fairly recently published book called The Flight Attendant which is a bit of a a crime thriller Um, and um, it um, involves uh, the plot kind of involves um, a flight attendant called Cassandra Bowden um, she's been working for and I'm, I sort of imagine it's American Airlines or something um, for many years she loves the job, it's easy money she, lots of adventure um, but she does happen to be a binge drinker which is quite unfortunate So, but she puts up with the occasional blackouts that result from that um, and also the self-loathing that she experiences as well. So she happens to wake up one morning in a hotel room in Dubai um, and she's trying to put together the events of the night before and um, as she's getting ready to uh, do her next um, route, which I think is to, to Paris, working the first-class cabin, as you do, she finds a dead body in the room. and um, But, of course, she can't remember what happened. So what's going to happen? Um, she doesn't really help herself because of the binge drinking. This was one of those ones where I wanted to say, just stop drinking, you know. 
But um, this is, it's a real page turner. Um, it's a good beach read or perhaps an aircraft read. Um, but frustrating with the, the character. It's mm. like, just stop this behaviour. <laughs> well, I like that aircraft read. You should have, yeah, not beach yes, read. It's perfect book for reading on airplanes. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree that crime novels set on trains have an extra frisson. And I've actually got another one here. Another great classic. I think it's the Ne Plus Ultra of the genre crime novels set on trains, which is Strangers on a Train by Patricia Highsmith. And written in 1950, this was actually her first novel. So, um, for a first novel, it's, I mean, it's an amazing book, first novel or not, but just imagine she's sitting down with her little notebook and she starts to write, and this is the opening to her book. The train tore along with an angry, irregular rhythm. It was having to stop at smaller and more frequent stations where it would wait impatiently for a moment and then attack the prairie again. But progress was imperceptible. The prairie only undulated like a vast, pink-tan blanket being casually shaken. The faster the train went, the more buoyant and taunting the undulations. Guy took his eyes from the window and hitched himself back against the seat. Miriam would delay the divorce at best, he thought. She might not even want a divorce, only money. Would there really ever be a divorce from her? So how's that oh, for scene setting beautiful, for a crime it? novel? I've always loved um, Patricia Highsmith's writing. Yeah, she's underrated. Well, mm. not talked about enough. I don't mm. know. Well, I guess the movies have made her a bit more famous. So the Mr. she's the author of the novels, for those of you who don't know, of the Mr. Ripley novels. Um, so anyway, in this, back to my book. Um, so in this one, Guy, who we've just met, traveling across the prairies to see his wife, she's in Texas, pregnant with another man's baby. He's hoping he can talk her into a divorce so he can marry the rich society woman he's in love with. And he's importuned by a drunken stranger who isn't too drunk not to see that this man could be his dupe. He has a plan. He invites him to dinner in his compartment and he tells him all about his rich and abusive father who won't give him the money he feels he should be allowed to handle, <laughs> to take, and uh, proposes that they should each perform. He gets him to tell about why is he on the train, oh, to get a divorce from the wife that might not give him a divorce, blah, blah. And he proposes they should each perform the other one's murder. Mm. So this is the perfect crime. They'll never be caught because there's nothing that ties them to the victim except for this pact that they've made on the train, which no one will ever hear about. Ha ha. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a train wreck. Yeah, the whole book. (laughs) The book is a train wreck. So there is one long hurdle to disaster. You know they're going down, but it's an edge of the seat book to see how they're going down and who's going to take them down. So, um, yeah, highly recommend. And if you don't know Patricia Highsmith, this is a good introduction to her work. And if you do then like her, you can go on reading for a long time. Oh, no, that's that's fabulous, isn't it? Now, um, speaking of train wreck... um personalities um i've got another one um it's another crime book set on a train and um it's also another one it's a please stop drinking kind of book again Uh, yeah another one why do i choose these um now this one is called the girl on the train by paula hawkins some of you will have seen the movie which i i don't think was as good as the book actually but you know there's some something about commuter trains that um i find quite interesting oh and really like, yeah <laughs> and this so, sounds so boring to me yes the commuter train. <laughs> i've experienced a bit of this myself um you almost get a, a glimpse into people's lives oh um, yeah because of the the route the 
the train travels, you're often going past the back of people's houses. Yeah, you can build their narrative. That's exactly right. I've ex- um, and I experienced it once on a really long commute um, in Chicago, and um, I found myself dreaming about people's people's lives. As you say, it's the, the narrative that you build. I hope it, it's not. I wasn't being voyeuristic. It was more. A oh well, dream. it depends. Were they undressing in front of their windows? If they weren't, <laughs> no, <laughs> they'll be tranquil. You're fine. Yes, having cups of tea, I think. So this is um, about a commuter train and um, a woman called Rachel and she takes the the same train every morning and um, the train um, whizzes past this sort of stretch of very cosy suburban homes um, and it's but it stops at the same signal at the same time every day so she this allows her to to watch the this couple who look to be very happy and in love and everything and they're having breakfast on their their deck um and uh, rachel's quite troubled as as i say it's please rachel stop drinking so she starts to envy them she thinks that their lives are, are perfect and um she gets quite involved in in their lives from from a distance but then one day she sees something very shocking um, or does she? But she thinks she's seen something very, very shocking. Um, but the train then moves away very quickly. But this has changed everything in her life. So she goes to the police and then gets so tangled up into this um, situation um, and becomes quite a problem herself to to everyone. And it's one of those ones where... Um, do, do you do more harm than good by getting involved in, in um, something that you think you've seen? Um, she's a very flawed character. Um, but once again, it's a good page turner, um, maybe one to read on a, a train or, or a plane or a beach. Um, I, I quite enjoyed it. So, um, on a plane or a train yeah. or a beach. Or a beach, yes. <laughs> you could have said on a ship. Oh, yes, I should. Oh, I forgot about that. Thanks for another show. Me, I'll listen, I'm here yes. for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, I've got one last book here. And um, it's not really a crime novel. It's definitely, it's not a crime novel at all. Um, but it does involve a murder. And it's another classic. Um, you can also count on me for the mm-hmm. classics. It's um, a novel by Leo Tolstoy, a novella actually, and it's called The Kreutzer Sonata. And it was written in 1889. This is how far back I'm taking you now. Um, which was only about mm, 20, 30 years after railway travel became um, available in Russia, yeah, yeah so the, yeah. the trains were built, I think, in the latter half of the 19th century, yeah, the, the railways, and it takes place completely on a train. Tolstoy was fascinated by trains, and this, I mean, he was in his 20s when the railways arrived, so this was like a moment of his youth, you know, mm-hmm. those things that happened to you when you're young, Yes, and um, he remained forever fascinated by trains, and um, in this book, so it's a claustrophobic, um, tight, and hard-read novel, well, no, not a hard-read <laughs> <laughs> um, dramatic read, a dramatic read, I, I mean, in the sense of lots of feelings. Um, the narrator of this story has met a man on the train who ends up confessing to him as they share a compartment that he's murdered his wife out of jealousy, thinking that she was having a love affair with a violinist that she used to play duets with. Um, and that is when he hears them play Beethoven's Kreutzer Sonata.
Asia together is when he starts to lose control and realizes there's something happening here. Well, he thinks there's something happening here. And, and so there's this train trip within the train trip as this man describes to the narrator his return to Moscow when he's decided that it's gone too far because his wife has written him. He's out away in business. His wife has written him and saying the violinist came by to leave off some music and he jumps on the train. Well, actually, he jumps on the horse and then he <laughs> takes the horse to the station and he jumps on the train. And um, it's because I'm just going to... So, I luckily, I've built up to it with two other readings because Russian novels are very hard to read from <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, not sure for everyone. But... Um, I, I, this is the, the, because it's a salute, because we're doing an homage to railways here. I just want to put this out. Um, so he's jumped, he's gotten off his horse and onto the, he's out of his carriage and onto the train. And he says, but this calm state of mind, the power of controlling my feelings came to an end as soon as I stopped traveling with the horses. As soon as I entered the railroad carriage, an entirely different state of things began. This eight-hour journey by rail was horrible to me, and I shall never forget it as long as I live. Either because as soon as I enter the carriage, I vividly imagine myself as having already reached the end, or because railroad travel has an exciting effect on people. In any case, as soon as I took my seat, I no longer had control over my imagination, which ceaselessly, with extraordinary vividness, began to bring up before me pictures kindling my jealousy. One after another they arose, and always to the same effect, what had taken place during my absence, and how she had deceived me. I was on fire with indignation, wrath, and fury caused by my humiliation as I contemplated these pictures. I could not tear myself away from them, could not help gazing at them, could not rub them out, could not help evoking them. And the more I contemplated these imaginary pictures, the more I was convinced of their reality." Oh, so isn't that that's a beautiful? So yeah, yes. this is pure. You yes. know, this is Tolstoy at his best. So he was, this is actually one of his last books. And um, the thing I love so much about it is, so railways. The important thing about railways, um, if you read about their history, is they appeared at the end of the Romantic era, and they really brought in the modern era. They were one of the things that ushered in the modern era. One of the most important things. And if you think about those landscapes that people used to ride carriages over in the Romantic era, like when we talked about the Shelleys, Percy and Marie mm. and Mary Shelley walking to Switzerland when they ran out of money, on the trains you're suddenly cutting through the landscape and the scenery is accelerating towards you in a way that people had never experienced before and then disappearing behind you and reappearing anew in front of you and um, it's just amazing how he's captured that and you know he picked it back up again I'm going to say his fascination with trains in Anna Karenina where the whole appearance of a train a man falling under a train is the bad omen on the day that Anna meets the man with whom she will commit adultery and Anna herself dies throwing herself mm-hmm. under a train at the end and Tolstoy let's not forget that might have been an omen for him himself because he died at a railway station waiting for a train so yeah yes which I guess was quite fishing in a way yes and him. very and very um, in his mysticism a very mystical kind of experience isn't it yeah. Yes, yes. 
Mm. Now, and speaking of mysticism, that gives me um, a good um, uh, segue, a good chance to segue into um, M Train by Patti Smith. And um, like you, I'm, I'm sure I just love Patti Smith's writing. Um, this one, um, M, M Train, it's a, a really poetic medi- meditation on her life and her art. Um, and she talks about black coffee, literature, and travel. Um, That's Patty. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't no, it? writing in her notebook. Right, black, yes. Black coffee, literature, writing in her notebook. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And cafes and that sort of thing. And um, the, M, the, um, the title, M Train, well, um, there's sort of two uh, reasons for it, I guess. The, the, it's a New York um, subway. It, it, one of the subways, I think, is called the M Line or the M Train. But it turns out um, she's uh, talking about M meaning mystical ride, which I think that's very patty, isn't it? Kind yes. of happy, happy-ish, and I quite like that. Well, kind mystical of like ride. totally willing to put out there things that other people might find risible, but that for her are like absolutely a true thing that she feels. You know, she's always been about revealing... Yes, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I really love her her work. Um, and in this one, um, they've got a lot of Polaroid photos because she was no, as well as her notebook, she always had that Polaroid camera, didn't she? And some of them are, are deliberately blurry. So there's a picture of the the seat that and the table that she sat at at the cafe every morning, but it's quite blurred. And I, I guess there's probably a reason for that. Well, photography being, interestingly, one of the things that ushered in the modern era, uh, along with trains. So. Oh, yes, of, yeah. of course, yes. Yeah, and um, what were we saying earlier about um, black coffee and cigarettes? And a regrets? woman drowns her regrets in black coffee and cigarettes. Yes. I'm not sure if Patty has regrets. Well, no. She has sadness. And there's a lot of sadness yeah. in, in the book, too. But I think she's a bit of a Piaf, um, no regrets. Yes, yes, that's right. I regret nothing kind of thing. Yeah, I I just I love it, and I always do sort of find myself coming back to Patty Smith. Um, yeah, so we've covered quite a bit today about our our train rides, haven't we? And the the people that that um, take them. So um, what we're going to do now—that's our um, our show. Um, we're going to leave you with a, a salute to trains, books, and to our beautiful city, Auckland. Um, and this is um, taken from the book trailer for Going West by Morris G, um, which was uh, produced by the New Zealand Book Council. Um, and don't forget to, to check the Auckland Library's blog for a list of the books mentioned in today's show. So um, until next time, happy reading. Haerera and kakiteano. Kakiteano. The track ran straight for several miles with Stragley Town on one side. Arlap's grocery, where you could buy Chinese ginger and jars, a scout hall, the Anglican church, the jam factory, and vineyards and farms on the other. 
Then the light began to curve, and the impression one had was a worming into Auckland. It went up in clouds with three cuttings and saw a grey fringe of cemetery overlapping the hill and the lumping into the ranges on the other side. Once across the Spindley Bridge, there was no creeping. Stabbed like a knife. Avondale, Mount Albert. Houses tumbling one against the other, iron roofs and afraid to point the reds and green and Morningside, Kingsland, with Eden Park alone like a lawn waiting for the big match Saturday, then the prison, an English castle with a quarry where the prisoners broke stones. An open grammar standing above its triple icon buildings in the sun, a voice of navy blue kicking footballs high. What happened when a football went into the quarry? You mark a tunnel, blue cigarettes in the dark, and kids making ghost yarns. And the smell of sulfur. Once, when the other big kids said a second take, the way Rudita Sheila both had their pants pulled up and were sitting as though nothing had happened by the time the train came out the other end. That open space in the ramps made you run, and the echoing big wheels threatened you. You felt you might travel up or down instead of along by slanting, sliding ways, or by the plucking of a hand, and hear a big, final voice. The dusty, straggling walk along to Queen Street entered that. Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day.